0: Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome into Bet to Win here at the Blue Wire Studios inside the Win, Las Vegas. I am your host, Joe Fan. Hope you all had a tremendous weekend. I know I did, and I cannot wait to have Nick Diaz back on the show. We had him on Thursday to preview UFC 278. We've got to recap a wild finish in the fifth round the buzzer beater knockout, the left foot heard around the world as Leon Edwards knocks out the Nigerian nightmare, Kamaro Usman. As a huge underdog, and my guy Nick was all over it. Before we bring him in, our collective winning pick uh, was a loser. The losing streak is now a real thing. we got to get back on our winning ways. I'll finish this with a pick, uh, a two-leg MLB parlay that I am very confident in is going to get you back on the right track. Uh, That parlay we had, just for those who were scoring at home, the one we missed was uh, Costa and Rockhold ending via knockout. Uh, that went the distance. Uh, Aldo Mirab over two and a half rounds hit. And then uh, Usman and Edwards over four and a half rounds hit. Uh, but we lost the third leg. Uh, wasting no more time. I want to bring him in again. This is Nick Dayas, host and founder of Blue Wire's Veterans Minimum Podcast. Follow him on Twitter at NickDayas10. Nick, welcome back, sir. And we talked about it last show that you're coming out here to Vegas. But some listeners uh, were keen to it and said, hey, You never talked about why he's coming out here, what's bringing him here. And so I want to give you the floor real quick, welcome you back to the show, but also explain to our listeners of what's taking you or bringing you out here to Sin City, and making the move from New York.
1: Joe, it's always awesome coming back on the pod. Love chopping it up, as always. Uh, Just the next chapter in life, man. A lot of opportunities opened up, and I've been creating content for about seven years now. Uh, Labor Day weekend I like to consider the the anniversary of my show it's the NFL preview show it's a it's a landmark episode every year it gets a lot of great feedback we really do a deep dive on the entire league we even talk about the Jaguars and the Texans who might not get a <laughs> lot of love but they will on that show and uh it's it's been a, a life goal of mine dude to leave new York even before all the chaos of covid I've always wanted to and I've been to Vegas many many times and it was one of those things where I felt like it's the place for me to be for, uh, for many reasons. So I'm excited, man. And I can't wait.
0: Well, dude, so can we, man, we can't wait to get you over here in studio, chop it up in person, man. And, uh,
1: that means guaranteed you
0: and I are going to be going to fights here in the near future, whether we're going to apex at UFC headquarters or at a big pay-per-view at T-Mobile arena. Uh, I can't wait to go watch a card with you, my man. Uh, so big things ahead here for, uh, for the fellas here. Let's get into the UFC 278. um, kind of an up and down card but ended with fireworks certainly and i'm going to recap what nick said on thursday this is a direct quote from thursday's show when previewing and handicapping the welterweight title match between kamara usman a heavy minus 405 favorite against leon edwards at plus 310 this is what my guy nick said and it's time to gas him up he said quote leon has some knockout power and he's a 3 to 1 dog question mark my money's going to be on leon Because this line is wrong, in my opinion. You were all over it, sir. And I want to know, did you put your money where your mouth was and profit from that incredible knockout from the underdog Leon Edwards and the new UFC welterweight title holder?
1: Yeah, dude, I definitely profited. It was uh, though the card was a little shaky and a little boring. uh, My buddy, Jared, Jared Gordon, he got the W in a rather dominating fashion and then I was on two dogs that cashed, Tybura and then also uh, Leon Edwards. But yeah, man, look, Joe, I got to be honest with you, though, dude. It was me saying that the line was wrong and then how the fight ended. Usman dominated that fight. That was just a, a moment in time that's going to live forever. We were talking before we started recording how the card was a little shaky, but that moment at the end is going to live forever and people are going to be looking back and saying, oh my God, that Salt Lake card was so fire. It's like, well, it kind of wasn't, but the ending is going to be just, I mean, it's monumental, right? It was it an was all-time moment. Usman was the right side. Those that bet on Leon, especially after round two, I don't know if the altitude played a role, Joe. I don't know if you heard, but it was the high altitude in Salt Lake and a lot of fighters were quickly with the mouth open trying their best to huff and puff some air in the high altitude. And Leon didn't really look that good. Outside of that first round where he scored a takedown, the first takedown of Kamaro Usman in the UFC, and then he ended the round having his back. And then after that, Usman was just doing his Usman thing, was taking him to the ground whenever he wanted, was ground and pounding. And then just that that flash, that flash moment that got my friends and I off the couch as we were kind of yeah, you know, I was kind of sipping on a couple of beers, celebrating the the, the big news and hitting some bets, show. I'm not gonna lie to you. And then that moment kind of just woke me up, man. so yes, i got I got extremely lucky on that call, especially how I was watching that fight. I gotta thank you,
0: man. i I parlayed Tibera and Leon Edwards together for a nice little payday there with that last minute knockout. For someone who, like me, who doesn't understand combat sports the way certainly you do. How does that happen? I think I, I kind of recall and it's fun now having had so many of these conversations, I can have some, some recollection with other fights and cards that have happened and it made me think of the Glover to Teixeira fight where he just had to survive and then Yuri got him in a quick submission and it was over and all of a sudden he lost. This very much the same way, just dance around, don't get knocked out, you win the fight in a unanimous decision like you mentioned, it wasn't close. So, when you are the best... I'm looking at UFC's athlete rankings right now and and going into this fight, they had Kamaru Usman as the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in the UFC. How does the best fighter in the world or one of them get caught like that in the final minute when there's nothing at stake for him at that
1: point because his work was already done? Dude, that's a that's a fantastic question. And... It's something that I don't know what the right answer is. And I hate, I know I've given you sometimes some takes like this where I kind of play devil's advocate or give you two sides. But I think in certain scenarios, it's justified. You know, was he worried that the crowd was going to start booing if he just danced around for another minute with the fight wrapped up? Uh, His former, well, not former, his current teammate, Rose Namajunas, experienced something in her last title fight that she lost where the crowd just completely turned on her. So we don't know, Joe, exactly what's going through his mind, but it was interesting to see that he tried to keep the fight standing up where him as a wrestler, he could dictate where the fight goes. You would assume he takes it to the ground. There's no submission threat. Leon Edwards had only one chance, only had one moment, and it just so happened to play out the way it did. And that left high kick was something where videos were going viral of Edwards sort of throwing these elbows and then ending with a left high kick. And if you go back throughout the fight, he sets that up. It's an accumulation of a lot of minutes of throwing the low kick, throwing the kick to the stomach, faints, a lot of faints. And then Usman, there's a slow motion video, Joe, of Usman kind of sees it coming, tries to get his hand up, but it's just it's too fast, too powerful. And you know, he got sh- sent into the shadow realm. And I think the way, I think the way Usman handles it, Joe, it has been fantastic. He posted about Leon. He said, look, it's a fight game, man. The, so the best fighters, the biggest fan favorites, they have multiple losses. Some have double digit losses. That's just fighting. You know, I think an interesting thing about the UFC and MMA in general is there's so many ways that you could win knockout, submission, head kick, all this other stuff that, People understand it's not like boxing where if you're a 30-0 and old boxer and you lose, it's the Mayweather effect, right? Mayweather was, oh, I'm undefeated, I'm undefeated. He suffered one loss. It's like, ah, oh, this guy is is not a draw. It's like, what? What do you mean? So people understand that. It's a fight game. But I, I just think it was uh, it was something that he's going to think about for the rest of his career,
0: without a doubt, on, Usman. If you're Dana White, was this a good outcome for the UFC? Or do you need guys at the top of each division? Or, or women at the top of each division who are the boogeyman, so to speak?
1: I think this one sets up a trilogy fight between the two of them. It all is going to depend on what happens in a couple of weeks. Chamaev is fighting Nate Diaz in Vegas. It's the next pay-per-view. Chamayev is a minus 1050 favorite. It's expected to be an ugly, vicious... Uh, sort of sacrifice of Nate Diaz to Chamaya, but it is a fight game. Crazier things have happened. But Joe, to answer your question, this one sets up a trilogy between Edwards and Usman. Usman has been on such a role. He's been a champion for three and a half plus years, dominating the top of the division. And I think you have to run it back. He's earned that right. He dominated the whole fight. This isn't something where Edwards was up 4-0 on the scorecards, and then he ends up getting this finish too. It's like, no, it was was 4-1 with a minute left. And it just so happened that it went down the way it did. So I think they run it back. I think having a dominant champion is great because you have one side of the fence that says they want to see him continue to be so dominant and break all these records. And on the other side, you want to see him lose. So that's what I think the UFC is is excited for. And, and lastly, Edwards is from the UK. Dana White has already floated the idea of Wembley or the O2 Arena, having a pay-per-view out there and him headlining. They've they've never had a, a champion from the UK that stayed in the UK and trained. That was something Leon Edwards really wanted to show that, dude, you don't need to leave the UK and go to an AKA in California or go to ATT in Florida. No, you could stay home get the right people around you, and you can become a world champion. That's incredible.
0: What, do you else, what else do you, will you remember from this card? That's certainly the headline and all the subheadlines. Luke Rockhold loses. He then retires. Uh, Josie Aldo loses as Mirab wins his eighth straight fight. Is there anything else that, that you take away from this card moving forward in the UFC?
1: dude, I want to ask you a question, man, about this parlay that we lost on because as I was looking at my notes and <laughs> the thing we lost on ended up being the biggest favorite, right? Just just off the top of your head, Joe, don't you feel like any time you put a parlay together, it just so happens that the biggest favorite always blows up your parlay?
0: It does. Yeah, certainly. And it's brutal And because you think they do this 10 times. You know, this team plays this team 10 times. But last year, I'll never forget there's the Titans and the Jets in like week three. I had like eight legs. They all won. Titans lose outright to the Jets. And you're thinking, if they played again tomorrow, the Titans would win by 30. But that's how it goes. You talk about the fight game and what the quotes were from Usman, the, the betting game that we are in, that we are uh, the knee deep in, is uh, it's so cruel. And so you know what? That's why when I win a big-time parlay, on is like, what, plus 800, plus 900, excuse me, uh, with a last-minute kick for a guy who was a sure loser of the fight. Yep, They take it, and you take it, and you don't apologize for it because we all know how many bad beats we experience. Uh, and as we get into football season, that's just not going to be any more true because football season is a lot of fun, but also a lot of pain. Uh yeah, you, man. You, I, I yeah I go wanted ahead. to
1: the reason why I bring that up is because of the rock holding Costa. That was a very it was a fun and weird fight. Uh I thought both of them were not gonna make it out the second round. I was shocked that it continued. I was, I was like, like, yo, there out there, there. Is zombies. Oh my god. And and these are two guys who have brutal weight cuts. It was something we were talking about on the last show. And then shortly after we finished recording, I watched the press conference. And Rockhold is asking Costa, hey, man, are you going to make weight? Are you going to make weight? And there were some rumblings for about an hour or so that they might do a catch weight at 190. These two fought at 185. Uh, It was a wacky fight. Um, Surprised that it went the distance. I was shocked, especially when you look at just some of the big shots that these guys took. And then as far as Marab goes, Marab is he's not an exciting fighter. And this happens a lot. Usman used to have this narrative on him, too, Joe, where he'll just outpace you, he'll outcardio you, and he'll, he'll win rounds. Uh, it was a lot of just, not lay and pray, but he was trying to take takedowns, trying to land takedowns, and he would just hold them up against the fence. There was one clip of Aldo sort of doing the uh, yawning up against the fence like nothing is happening, but he was losing the rounds because Aldo also didn't have any output. So I think ultimately everyone is going to remember Leon and that moment and also some of the corner work. If you guys haven't checked out, his corner is yelling at him and it's very inspiring and he's telling him, stop being so low on yourself. You're down on yourself, Leon. And then he has that moment. So it was really cool, man. Leon Edwards has been through a lot in the UFC and for him to have his night, I think, is something that he'll he'll sign up for for the rest of his life. Before we talk a
0: little NFL, you mentioned Saturday, September 10th at T-Mobile Arena. You will be a Las Vegas resident by then. It's headlined uh, by another welterweight bout. It's Nate Diaz and Chemaev. Where does that rank in terms of worthy main events?
1: And what do you think of the rest of the card? Dude, so this is... Uh, the next couple of cards are not going to be that interesting, Joe. There's a lot of just like, there's some cool fights, but not title eliminators, not number one contender stuff. So it's going to be shaky. There's no card this weekend, which is nice. Have a little break. And then Labor Day weekend, you have a card out in Paris, which is going to be the first time they ever do a card in Paris. Cyril Ghosn is going to be the headliner. He's a French heavyweight who was an interim champ. And then you got the pay-per-view. Chamaev is, if not... Next in line to get the title shot, unless they do the trilogy, he is next in line. So it's either they're going to do the trilogy between Edwards and Usman or Chemayev is going to skip and, and be the next one up. Uh, fun fact, Edwards and Chemayev were once booked to fight. Leon Edwards said, I will fight this guy since no one else wants to. Chemayev is going to probably massacre Nate Diaz as he is on his last fight in the UFC. And Chamayev is that guy. You were talking about the boogeyman before. It was once Usman. Now it's Chamayev. A lot of people are avoiding him. And, you know, you got to tip your cap to Nate Diaz. we said, I'll fight him. No problem on my way out. And, you know, he's he spoiled the hype train before, too, Joe. He beat Conor McGregor once. And uh, as a Nate Diaz fan... I'm not going to probably invest in it because I don't think it it happens, but I would like to see Nate win that fight, though I don't think so.
0: You know what? It's an easy transition from UFC to the NFL because Dana White dropped a bomb on the broadcast saying that uh, the the Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski to Las Vegas was all but done and John Gruden nixed it because he didn't want to invest in a mid-40s quarterback. And now, obviously, in Tampa Bay, going back for his third season, Tom Brady can't get out of the headlines. He's been this mysterious absence from training camp. He wanted to play for the Dolphins in Miami with uh, Sean Payton, as head coach. It's been a bizarre six months, let's call it, for TB12. What did you make of, of that bomb that Dana White just sort of casually dropped that all of a sudden the NFL news cycle is picking up steam
1: during a UFC pay per view card? Well, leave it to the NFL to want to capture all headlines, any opportunity that they want, whether good or bad. I mean, they do this. They had Tom Brady drop his uh, unretirement, I believe, like during March Madness, it might have been. It was something where it was a big like NBA or, yeah. or NCAA day. Uh, the first thing that came to mind when I heard this was I don't know if you're familiar with the shop uninterrupted LeBron James does his show he used to be on HBO. Now yeah. I, I think it's pivoted to another streaming service, but Tom Brady was once on there and he, he told the story about how one of the teams he was talking to after he left new England, they told him that we're going to stay with our quarterback now. And then the clip is Tom Brady telling Draymond green, wait a minute, you guys are picking this mother effer over me. I, I was remember like, are you kidding me? Clip. I remember that clip. So Good recall. I was just thinking, cause Dude, I've always been a Derek Carr guy. I feel like he was always severely underappreciated. And I feel like the way I view quarterbacks is, the way I define a franchise quarterback, Joe, is do I not have to, I don't have to worry, I should say, about that position for a decade. And I think a guy like Derek Carr, the Matt Ryans of the world, it's like I draft them and they'll be my guy for a decade. I don't need to waste first and second round picks on them. And yeah, they're not Aaron Rodgers, but there is only one of them. But he's also not Daniel Jones, who I have to unfortunately root for every week. So I was just like, damn, Brady, you're taking shots at, at Derek Carr, who I think is he's a really good quarterback, man. So that was the first thing that came to mind. And I think Brady at this point, like how much training camp does he need? I think the biggest worry I would have if I'm a Bucks backer financially in the sports betting market or as a fan, it's how many of these offensive linemen it seems like every week are either yep. retiring or out for the year. That's that's the biggest worry if I'm Brady in the books. Why do you think Tom Brady was gone from camp?
0: What do you think caused him to miss a week or so? Can we start a conspiracy theory that we know Tom Brady's got a lot of irons and a lot of fires with different uh, businesses, whether it's TB12, whether it's crypto, whether it's uh, healthcare product, whatever. I mean, I feel like Tom Brady is anywhere and everywhere. What if he got caught up? What if like the the TB12 method is like this big Ponzi scheme and the feds are coming after him and he was gone for like a week? Like, Do we think we (laughs) could get some traction on that take? Do you think maybe he was away because the feds came calling and he was like, hey guys, I got to step away for a minute. What do you think?
1: It's got to be something a little
0: bit weird because it's been reported it's not health for him or his family. I mean, is he shooting a movie we don't know about? I don't yeah. know, man. I think I'll we'll go Wolf of Wall Street, uh, Martha Stewart-esque, <laughs> and say uh, he might be in some uh, some financial hot water based on one of his various business uh, ventures. How do you feel about that?
1: I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like he's he's been so... Um like that TB12 thing, he's been like the catalyst of it because he started with, I'm going to play until 45 and and the TB12 method as far as like changing your lifestyle around and whatnot. I wonder if it has anything to do with his family though. Like maybe they're pissed off at him for unretiring and now coming back. I know there's been, you know, I, I sort of quoted the the shop uh, series that they do. Like I remember watching all these documentaries on Brady and how Giselle was pretty outspoken of, Hey man, it'd be cool if you retired and we could, you know, really have a family, right? Like really spend time with your family. Like what more, what more do you want? What more do you need to do in the NFL? So I don't know if it's something like personal or private like that. I always try to stay away from coming up with with takes like that, but I don't know, maybe it could be that they're like, damn dude, you're you're leaving us again. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know, Joe. I I like the Ponzi scheme. I think that's pretty funny, but (laughs) we'll have to wait and see
0: couple more quarterbacks I want to get to before I let you go. Uh, Deshaun Watson it finally uh, a resolution is finally we're not we're done talking about what might happen. We know it's going to be an 11 game suspension didn't even have to get to the arbiter um, or the appeal uh, the appealing judge didn't have to make a decision because the NFL the NFLPA, um, came to an agreement and a settlement on 11 games eligible to return in week 13 at the Houston Texans, which I'm sure is just a huge coincidence. Nick deus what are your feelings about how this has all gone and how it's concluded now with the 11 game
1: ban? I mean, uh, my feelings are kind of like the consensus of how everyone feels about this. I'm. Kind of fed up with some of the decisions that the NFL makes for as much as I like the NFL it's been something Joe i've been I've been talking about this for for ages right like even even like the the breast cancer awareness stuff that they do the salute the troops that they do the these companies that create all this merch like they they have to they get paid from like breast cancer awareness stuff and and like the army to get this merch out there like the NFL does a lot of stuff that I just don't agree on, right? Like, dude, Calvin Ridley got a year suspension for betting on games that he wasn't even playing in. And then everything that's went down with Watson to have him come back. And I feel like they're trolling us too, ultimately, right? Like 11 games, first of all, first of all, 11 games is like so random. Everyone was saying eight, 12 or the whole season. They do 11 because he's eligible to come back to play the Texans. It's like, come on, man. You're just like insulting my intelligence Or, or just like, the common sense of things. It's like when we watch the UFC and we talk about some of these judges with the scorecards, like, how can you have it 30 26 and the other person has it 30 27 the other way? So it's like at this point, I just feel like the NFL, they know that they pretty much feel like they could get away with anything. And I think the decisions that they make is sort of validating that thought. Like they can do whatever they want because they know people are going to watch. More people watch the Hall of Fame game than any game in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Like the Stanley Cup finals between the Avalanche and the the Lightning, which is for a trophy, right? That's a banner in a stadium. And the NFL gets more ratings for that. So they know what fantasy football with the sports betting becoming more and more legalized. Every week you look, there's a new state that just passed legislation or it's live and the books are up and running they know that people are going to be tuning in. They're going to draw in the top 10 shows of last season from the uh, Nielsen ratings. Nine of them were NFL products. You know, so it's like they know, they, they, they feel as if they can't do wrong. And the way it's going, the NFL just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Man, it's brutal. Because it, you're right. It, it is, the NFL is bulletproof.
0: And the ratings you just mentioned between the Stanley Cup playoffs and the Hall of Fame game are a perfect example of that. What drives me nuts, and you said it well, it's an insult to all of our intelligence. The NFL claiming they want to take a stand here and be allies to victims of sexual assault and sexual abuse and rape, and then agree to a settlement that gets him back on the field to play in Houston against his former team because the ratings will be absolutely gigantic. It's sickening. And I'm so sick of listening to Deshaun Watson say... I understand from a civil suit standpoint, you can't admit too much wrongdoing because that's going to cost you. But then just say no comment. Stop with the statements that say "I'm sorry for the decisions I've made," and then take a press conference and say, "I have, I, I did no wrong. There was, I, I stand on my innocence." Every other person involved in this has acknowledged wrongdoing. Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Browns, talking about second chances. Second chances Mm for what? I thought he didn't do anything wrong. I thought he's innocent. Roger Goodell talking about maturity, talking about needing to be better, talking about representing himself in the league better. Sue Robinson talking about predatory behavior. What are we doing here? I just can't handle any more of the Deshaun Watson or his agent uh, talking about the NFL's narrative. And standing on innocence, you are not the victim here. And the fact that his whole contract is set up to where he had a year of suspension insurance, and it's only going to cost him from his contract, what, half a million dollars? The NFL tacked on five more, $230 million guaranteed, protected, headed straight for the bank. I don't know, man. It just doesn't sit well with me. And the, whole, the fact that he's oh. coming back against Texans is just an insulting cherry yeah. on top of this shit Sunday.
1: Yeah. And Joe, think about like just the history of the NFL, right? They used to, they used to ignore sports betting for the longest time. They used to feel as if that was such a, you know, such a bad thing to talk about. You couldn't talk about the lines. You couldn't do any of that stuff. People, you know, analysts had to work their way around it. And then they put a team in Vegas, right? Which is the betting capital of the world. They, they care so much about player safety that they have them play on Thursdays, which, you know, learning from Will Blackman and the experiences of players and getting to talk to a lot of players throughout the years of creating content. They're like, dude, it sucks playing on Thursday, right? So how can you preach player safety if you have them playing three days later? So it's weird, man. The NFL, like, again, I, I truly believe they believe that they're untouchable and they could do no wrong and their actions sort of reflects that.
0: Really well said, Nick. Before I let you go, should Kenny Pickett be starting in Pittsburgh? Two standout preseason performances. Uh, His stats, 19 of 22, a buck 71, three touchdowns, no picks. He's already bumped uh, Mason Rudolph to the number three spot on the depth chart. Obviously, Mason Rudolph is terrible. We all saw that coming. But should he be the starter week one over uh, Mitchell Trubisky?
1: Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, what are we doing here? Mitchell Trubisky, like... (laughs) We, we, we've we seen enough. We know what that is. And you invest a first round pick in them. This isn't this isn't what it once used to be, Joe. I feel like Russell Wilson in that draft class with RG3 and Andrew Luck, Ryan Tannehill, that really changed the NFL where your first round pick doesn't need to sit anymore. He should be starting week one if he's ready and he's won the job. And why not? Right. He's also a mature guy. I believe he's 24 years old. He's he's of the older age that he's coming out, 23, 24 around there, and you just know what Trubisky is, right? Trubisky's not going to be in your plans, and I had to sit for a whole season of Mitchell Trubisky to win MVP in his third year and all that, and he was the most wagered quarterback to win MVP, and I was like, yo, this guy's off hammered the under that year on the (laughs) Bears wins. Like, come on, man. What are we doing here? So, yeah, it should be Kenny Pickett. Like, he's playing really well. The players are talking him up and hyping him up, and I think that there's something special that could happen if you go with Kenny Pickett. Like, I think he could be an X factor in this division because I feel like if you're handicapping the Steelers, you're doing that with the assumption that it is Mitchell Trubisky. Whereas now with Kenny Pickett, rookie quarterback, you just don't know. He could come in and light it up. And then before you know it, Pittsburgh's back in the playoffs. So I think you should go with Kenny Pickett, first round pick. And he's been playing well too. It's not like they're they're giving it to him. He's He's earned that right.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think you should start as well. I ultimately have no problem deferring to Mike Tomlin, who's earned the benefit of the doubt and making a decision like this. And I think he will do what's right for that right for that franchise as a guy who's never had a losing season as a head coach. Uh, let me tell you, guy who always hits home runs on this show, Nick is. thank you so much, man. This will be the last time we have you on until you get out here. Best of luck with your move. Again, check out the Veterans Minimum Podcast on Blue Wire's network of podcasts. Follow him on Twitter, at Nick is 10 And next time we chat, sir, we will be in Las Vegas together here in the Blue Wire Studios at the Win. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate you. And best of luck
1: these next couple of weeks. Joe, you're the man. I can't wait. And uh, here's to uh, smashing some bets and beers at a UFC event in the near future. Yes, sir.
0: Many cold beverages, co-pay reviews in our future. Can't wait to get that guy out here. Uh, One of the most fun connections I have made since moving to Vegas and doing the show. Um, and the fact that uh, he's going to be out here and I'll be hanging out with him in person is going to be a whole lot of fun uh, here with the Blue Wire team in the Blue Wire studios here at the Win. So big thanks to Nick Dayas and safe travels to him as he makes his way west here to Las Vegas. Let's get to a promo and a winning pick and also a programming note for you as we close this Monday show. New WinBet users can receive $200 in free bets after you make your first qualifying deposit and place your first bet on WinBet. Once that bet is settled, you'll receive four installments of $50 free bets. Go to winbet.com or download the WinBet app for official rules and details. Before we get to a winning pick, we've got a programming note for you. Uh, It is a bittersweet programming note, but it's a programming note nonetheless. Uh, This show, bet to win as you consume it, twice a week and have for this last year, and I'm grateful for it and grateful for you, is going away. You will find this content, my opinions, my thoughts, my picks, my analysis, uh, both on my Twitter account, at Joe underscore fan, and the WinBet Twitter account, at WinBet, and also on WinBet.com, where I'll be doing much more writing here moving forward. So it'll be more bite-sized content, consumable stuff, rather than the long 30 to 40-minute podcast podcast Uh, that you've been checking out, including this one. So our last show will be next Thursday, September 1st. Uh, I will continue this programming note for the next four episodes. But yes, this this, uh, show is going away and will be repurposed in other forms and fashions. So uh, make note of that. Um, Still, we'd love to keep you around here for these next three episodes uh, as we close this thing out in style. Uh, Winning pick time. I'm a three and three Minus 0.27 units for the month. I've got a two-leg MLB parlay going first five. Mets, first five money line. White Sox, first five money line. That's a plus 172 on win bet. For the Mets, they're on the road against the Yankees with Max Scherzer on the bump. The Yankees have been woeful of late, particularly against right-handed pitching. They ranked 26th in weighted runs created, plus against righties in August. And then with the White Sox at the Royals, Michael Kopech been better of late. Just three earned runs in his last 12 innings pitched. The Royals uh, ranked 25th in WRC plus against righties in August. It's Mets. It's White Sox. First five money line parlay at plus 172. If one of them pushes, uh, we can still win just the one leg. Get a diminished uh, return. Um, So play it safe here. Not going minus the half a run. Going with money line first five. Mets, White Sox again, plus 172 on win bet. That's going to do it for this episode of the show. A big thanks to Nick Dias for coming on and talking UFC. Again, a crazy finish to the UFC 278 card on Saturday. Best of luck to him on his move out here. Uh, I don't know if we're going to have him on then again for the the rest of the time here since he's going to be in transit. So want to give him a huge, huge shout out for being such an integral part of this show, particularly in these last four to six months. I definitely feel like since Claudia has left, he has been Uh, you know, my sidekick here, as I would call him, not even a guest, but a de facto co-host. And it's been a whole lot of fun chatting with him. Uh, Anyways, that's going to do it for us here. We will see you Thursday right here on bet to win